just invite you to pray with me. Heavenly Father, I do pray that we would uh, fall down before you, recognizing that we are undone, and that we would all be those who seek refuge in the provision that you have made in your Son, Jesus Christ. And I pray that we would be those with ears to hear, that you now honor yourself and your word in our midst and in our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Sometimes we hear something, but we don't really hear. So recently, I asked one of my boys to do something, and uh, he shall remain nameless, but he said, okay, and then immediately started on something else. So I said, son, he said, yeah, what? I said, what did I just say? Oh, yeah, and then off he went and and did it. So he heard it, uh, but it didn't sink in. Right Uh, Now, this isn't just a problem for kids. This happens to all of us. So um, I'll turn it around back on myself. Uh, My kids sometimes talk to me, and I'll say, "Mm mm-hmm. And uh, and once in a while, they'll say, are are you listening? And uh, and the reality is, sound waves pass through my ears. I heard them speak, and I know the words they said, but no, uh, I was not, in fact, listening. So we understand there's different ways of hearing things. There's hearing, and then there's really actually hearing and listening. In our passage today, Jesus again exhorts us to hear him rightly, to hear aright. To truly listen to the message of the gospel, to truly receive it. And he gives reasons why this is so crucial, why this is so important. There are consequences for not hearing and there are blessings to be had for hearing. So I invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 8, verse 16, as we continue on. Uh, we're going to cover Luke eight sixteen to 21 today. And we see here two accounts which highlight this importance, again, of hearing rightly. Now this has been a common theme. We looked at this the last couple weeks as we've been in the parable of the sower, the purpose of the parables. Uh, If you go all the way back to verse 1 of chapter 8, Jesus has been preaching the gospel, then he's explaining the parables and how they are explaining the gospel of the kingdom more clearly to us and how it functions, how it works. And uh, he's been, you know, we've seen the parable of the sower, the importance of hearing rightly and different heart conditions and why people respond in different ways. And now again, we're back to this idea of hearing and hearing rightly. So I'll read you to read that with me in verse, starting in verse 16. It says, no one after lighting a lamp, this is Jesus talking, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care then how you hear, for to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. So in, this, in the first section here, verses 16 to 19, or 16 to 18, sorry, Uh, The importance of hearing is highlighted in Jesus' command, Jesus' words, to take care then how you hear. 
And then in the second part, we're going to see that Jesus says his true mothers, his true brothers, his true spiritual family are those who hear the word of God and do it. And so we're going to look at three reasons from these two, from these six verses, uh, why it is that we must take care how we hear, how it is we listen and respond to Jesus. And the first one is that we need to take care how we hear because all things one day will be exposed. All things one day will be exposed. So Jesus makes very clear here that one of the reasons we need to take heed, be careful how we respond and how we listen to him is that one day everything's going to be laid bare before God. Everything's going to be exposed. This includes all of our sins. Nobody's going to be able to hide. We're not going to be able to hide the things that we cover and keep from other people. The things that we uh, do now in secret will not be able to stay secret. The truth about the world, about what's right and wrong, about who God is, who Christ is, uh, everything. Everything's going to be known. Everything's going to be clear. That's the day we're headed toward. And so he's telling us here, be careful, take care at how you listen. So let's work through these verses and, and see why that's the case. So verse 16, uh, Jesus gives us an illustration here uh, of this lamp, and you don't hide this, this lamp. Uh, many call this a parable. There's some debate whether this is, we should technically call this a parable. I think it's fine to consider it a parable. It's certainly an illustration to uh, teach us spiritual truth about the kingdom. And it's a pretty straightforward uh, illustration. Nobody lights a lamp, Jesus says, only to then cover it up. Right? So nobody puts it under a jar or a vessel or under a bed or anything like that. Uh, so times have changed. We now have electricity. We flip on light switches. But the idea is the same. This transfers very easily to us. You don't turn on a light uh, to then just cover it up. Right? You turn it on so that people can see when they enter the room whether it's you or somebody else. That's what Jesus is saying. This is a very simple concept. I think we all understand this. We all get this. It's very straightforward. Uh, then in verse 17, Jesus helps us understand the truth that this is illustrating, that this is describing. And he says there, For nothing is hidden that will not be manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. So here then, this statement is really straightforward. This is, uh, this is plain as the day, um, very, uh, not, nothing, nothing really difficult or challenging in this, uh, very clear, everything one day is going to be manifest, everything's going to be known, not one secret is going to be uh, left secret, everything's going to be clear, everything's going to be known on the day that God judges the world. The secrets of men will be judged by God. The God who knows everything, who knows all. There's no secret from Him. Every knee one day, we also know, will bow before the Lord. Everyone's going to know who the Lord Jesus Christ is and will acknowledge that He is, in fact, the Lord of all. Though for many, they will be acknowledging this as defeated foes. In the, in the way that uh, two kings who go to war, one uh, who loses is forced to bow before the greater king. Well, he's not voluntarily handing over his kingdom. He's forced that way as a defeated enemy. Uh, so for many, that's how it's going to be. But everyone's going to know the truth. Nothing will be hidden. No more suppression of the truth and unrighteousness about who God is. No more excuses for sin. 
No more calling good evil and evil good. All will be revealed as it truly is. Uh, The confusion and the mist uh, that that hangs over the world right now in terms of what's right and wrong, what's true, what's good, what's bad. Uh, This mist that's a result of sin and our suppression of truth. uh, All of that's going to be gone. Everything's going to be laid bare. Everything's going to be known. So the parable then of verse 16, the illustration of verse 16 is showing that this process of illumination, of bringing everything to light, has begun with the coming of Christ. And it continues where the gospel is preached. We're told, the Bible says, we are in the last days. Uh, That's what's happening now. This has come. The light has come. And it's it's spreading out. And it's going to culminate when the Lord Jesus returns and everything's laid bare. Everything's clear. So God has, we might say, lit the lamp so to speak, now. So where that's beginning to illuminate all things. So where Christ is preached, the kingdom comes in light. It, it exposes things as a spotlight, sheds light on sin and on darkness, exposes rebellion. It also is enlightening. It reveals what is true about the world. For example, that God is our Creator, He is a holy God. He's perfect. He sets the standard of what's right and wrong, and He's revealed to us His standards of right and wrong in His Word. Mankind is sinful. This is why there's evil. This is why there's suffering in the world because of our sin. These are all things that are proclaimed as the gospel is preached, and this sheds light on the truth of the world and who we are as people, that each man and woman is guilty before God of sin. God being holy, being just, he must punish this sin. Therefore, we're in a world of trouble as sinners, and so we need God's forgiveness. We need to be reconciled with God. There's a divide between us. And all of this happens only through faith in Jesus Christ. It's only he who can offer forgiveness. He's the one who has had the wrath of God the Father poured out upon him for the sins of all who would trust in him. He's coming back one day to bring about the judgment of the earth and all those who are wicked will be punished by him forever and eternity in hell. And all those who've trusted in him, who've confessed their sins, they'll be forever dwelling with him in a new heavens and a new earth. This is all part of the message that goes out as the gospel is proclaimed. It was proclaimed by Christ, it's proclaimed by his apostles. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament that pointed ahead to this time, these days. All of this is proclamation of the truth. It's light that goes out. This lamp has been lit and it goes out and one day everybody's going to know this. Everybody's going to see this very plainly, very clearly. All sin will be finally exposed. And so, even though Jesus, in the previous section, in the parable of the sower we've talked about the last couple weeks, even though he said that some people are not going to see it in this lifetime, even though some people are going to be hardened, and are going to be kept under that by God's judgment. Even though as this light is proclaimed to them, some will reject it, some will be hardened. And already in Jesus' day this was happening and it continues to happen today. Even though that's the case, all of this truth will not remain obscure forever. This lamp has not been lit so as to hide it under a bed. Jesus did not come so that just a few people would know some true things and then that's it. One day, everybody's going to know clear as clear can be. It will not remain obscure forever. This light has not been lit to be hidden. 
One day everybody's going to know it. Everybody's going to see it. And again, this doesn't mean that everybody's going to be saved. Not that everybody's going to rejoice in it. Rather, we know from Scripture, those who believe in Christ Jesus, who really truly hear Him in this lifetime, are those who will be saved. And for others, again, they will acknowledge the truth, they will know the truth, but as those who are conquered enemies of the Lord Jesus. And so, in light of that, Jesus says in verse 18, the beginning of verse 18, Take care then, or therefore, how you hear. This day is coming. Everyone's going to know. Everything's going to be exposed one day. Take care therefore how you hear. In light of this truth of verses 16 and 17, Listen carefully, Jesus is saying. Respond rightly. Repent of your sin. Hear the truth of God proclaimed by Christ. Humanity has a sense of invincibility. We, uh, we delay thoughts of eternity. We delay thoughts of death, thoughts of the end. Uh, we tend to minimize that which is wicked in God's eyes. But Jesus is telling us here, that we need to reckon with the fact that all things will be laid bare before God. And this God is a holy God. Hey, this is not the words of an angry preacher. I'm not mad. I'm not here to just enjoy talking about judgment. This is the reality that Jesus himself tells us about. He calls this to our attention. He does so for the purpose of having us sit up straight and listen and take careful, pay careful attention to how we're hearing, to whether or not we're really hearing this. Uh, many people um, say that they want to be on the right side of history. You hear this argument, it's used a lot uh, in our world uh, when people are arguing for uh, morality or lack thereof or whatever. The concept, the idea is that one day history is going to look back and vindicate them. Uh, they'll be on the right side of history one day down the road. That's the, the idea. Well, Jesus tells us here how, how this is going to end. And so the idea, wanting to be on the right side of history is fine and good. Uh, but Jesus tells us what the right side of history is. Our only hope, since everything's going to be laid bare, is to have our sins covered by the atoning work of Christ. And so take care how you hear. For one day, everything will be exposed. Secondly, take care how you hear, because further understanding and further blessing is given to those who do hear. So there's, there's two, two main reasons given uh, in, verse, uh, in these verses for why we should, we should listen, why we should hear. For this, Jesus calling us to take care how you hear. Uh, the word then, as I've just said, uh, could be translated therefore, it's telling us in light of these truths that he's just said, in light of the fact that all things are going to be laid bare eventually, because of that, therefore, take care how you listen. That's what we just talked about. But then he adds another reason why we should take care. He says, for to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. So the person who hears properly, who, the person who believes, the person who trusts, Responds in faith, fruit-bearing faith. Uh, this person is here described as the one who has. Okay, this is the person Jesus is talking about. To such people, 
he says more will be given. So the question is, what is this more? What is the more that will be given? Uh, it's generally taken to be uh, a greater understanding of uh, God's word. Uh, or spiritual blessing. Or both of those things. And uh, I'm, I'm inclined to say that it's both of those things. It seems to be saying that those who truly hear the word of God, those who truly hear and respond to the gospel will receive further instruction from the Lord and will make further progress in the faith. And of course, we would say that is the greatest blessing, to, to hear, to respond in faith, to receive more uh, illumination, to understand more of, of, uh, of, of God and His Word uh, is truly the greatest blessing. So when I, when I say they're going to receive this from the Lord, they're going to receive further instruction from the Lord, I don't mean they're gonna, that He's saying people are going to receive private instruction from the Lord. What he's saying is that ultimately, when we hear teaching, uh, preaching, teaching of God's Word, when we read God's Word, and we come to understand it, we understand it, say, in a, in a new, fresh way, you open it, you've read it, or you've heard a preaching, you say, I understand that better now, I understand this better, I understand how God operates more. When you understand that truly, that's the Lord Himself uh, instructing you. That's the Spirit illuminating your heart. And giving you more understanding, greater understanding of the Lord himself and of how his kingdom works and how it operates. And that's the thing that he says you will receive more of if you hear him and believe in him. So if we want to make progress in the school of faith, we need to heed what it is that we hear. We need to listen well. Now this is ultimately talking about a person who receives the message about the kingdom, the gospel. This is a person who gets, who's getting saved. Um, those who do, those who respond to that message in faith, uh, they believe, then we know they uh, start out on this path where God is going to sanctify that person. He's going to reveal more and more of himself to that, that person and pour out more understanding, more blessing to this, this individual. And Christians are, these, that, that describes a Christian, one who hears and then one who responds to that. It doesn't mean that the faith that we possess is a perfect faith or that our obedience is a perfect obedience. But our faith is a real faith. It's an actual faith. We, we, and so we press on to continue this, to, to hear and to believe it and to obey it and, and, and to rejoice in that truth. And as we do that, he continues to give more. And this is really this concept we know as progressive sanctification, that we grow more and more into Christ-likeness as we hear and receive and understand the truth. Jesus goes on then also <clears throat> to give a warning. He says, from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. So this person is one who thinks that they have the truth. They think they're doing what's right. They think they know what's right, what's true. Um, but these are in fact people who do not take care how they hear in Matthew and in Mark, when they tell this account, um, they say that what he has will be taken away. Uh, Luke says what he thinks he has will be taken away. So I think Luke is giving us the sense of it, that they, they, these people think they know the truth, they think they have the truth, um, but they don't actually have a real possession of the truth. They think they do, but they don't. And even that, he says, is going to be taken away. Whatever sliver they may hold on to or think they hold, it's not a true possession, and it'll be taken away. 
I think this is referring to ultimately to, to judgment. It's a judgment. Ultimately, this will happen at the end when all things are exposed. But it's also something that is experienced by some in this lifetime. If a person continues to reject the clear truth about Christ, things get worse and worse. There's this spiral downward in sin. So while a Christian, as he has just said, moves from faith to faith, uh, grows in grace, uh, as they, uh, they're given more understanding and, and more uh, blessing, they, they grow, they become uh, more holy in their, uh, in their lives. Others, it goes the other way. They move from death to death. There's a further hardening in their sin. Now, as, as far as we know, as we look out at people who are sinners who have rejected the gospel to this day, at any moment, as far as we know, the grace of God could intervene and could upset that process of from death to death and bring about light and help them understand the truth. And this person could res- respond with saving faith. I mean, that's what we were prior to being saved. We were such people. So as far as we, do, we know, that could happen at any time. So we, we never look at somebody and say they're beyond hope. We just... We don't have omniscience that God does. We are called to proclaim the gospel. We hold out hope where someone has heard the gospel that they might one day respond in faith. But God doesn't always intervene with such people. And so this is a warning to us that now is the moment to respond to the Lord in faith. So just consider for a moment the Pharisees as an illustration of this. What begins with them, you know, questioning John the Baptist, and then questioning Jesus and his disciples, it starts there, and then it quickly descends into this murderous plot against Jesus, regardless of what he says. They're looking for any reason to accuse him of something. They're bringing in false witnesses, blatantly disobeying the Ten Commandments, and, uh, and, and just in anything they can do to have this man crucified. And eventually, that's precisely what happens. They have him crucified. So you see this spiral downward as they rejected the Savior that the Old Testament prophesied about. And so for the, the Jews in Jesus' day, what they think they have is the Old Testament. They think that they're secure as Abraham's physical descendants, as his offspring. They think they rest securely with the Lord, that, the God, that God is their father. But they've rejected the very one whom Abraham pointed ahead to, whom the whole Old Testament pointed ahead to. Jesus has now come, and they reject him. And they, but they think Abraham's their father, and he's not. Jesus makes it very clear in John 8, he's not their father. And now what they think they have is going to be taken from them. And things are going to get foggier and foggier for them. And this is a judgment upon them. And we see this play out as the New Testament continues. We see it in Paul's ministry in a number of places. But I'll give you one example. In Acts 13.46, consider Paul's words to the Jews in Antioch in Pisidia. He says, it says, And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God, he's talking about the gospel, be spoken first to you, Jews, Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. The truth for these people would no longer be proclaimed to them. Paul says, I'm I'm turning my back and I'm going over here now to proclaim since you want no part of this. It's 
It's a terrifying judgment upon them. What they think they have has been removed. And we saw this a couple weeks ago when we looked at the, the, uh, the, the purpose of the parables. So again, this highlights the importance of not putting off the gospel of Jesus Christ. More blessing and understanding awaits you if you heed his word, believe the gospel. But if you don't, even what you think you might know will be taken from you, removed. So again, it's a warning that God's patience does not last forever with unbelief, with unbelievers. And we sing of and sang of even today God's patience. And with his children, with those who hear and who heed God's word, who believe in him, his patience is unending. But it's not true for those who refuse him. It's not unending. The day may come where you no longer hear the gospel. And so today is the day to believe. I was thinking about this um, just considering this, this passage and, and just last night as reflecting on the, the day and how some of us went out to knock on doors and, and try to share the gospel with people and you know some people uh, just turned us away, wanted nothing to do with it and I mean we knew that was going to happen, uh, it's not a surprise but I just, as I was thinking about this and you, and you think if, if what we are trying to bring to them is the truth of God, and it's their hope of reconciliation with God. Just the tragedy of somebody just throwing up their arms and, and sending you away. Now, I mean, I, I understand that for some of them, uh, you know, we could have been selling vacuums and they might have done the same thing. Uh, for some of them, there's more of an animosity perhaps towards Christianity in particular, towards the Lord. Um, but regardless, uh, they're sending away someone who's there trying to share this gospel message with them. And, and who knows if another person will ever show up at their door with that news or if they'll ever hear it again. So this is, again, this is what he, he's helping us see is this is not some game. So take care how you hear, he says. Number three, take care how you hear. Because adoption into God's family awaits those who hear. The warnings so far up to here of verses 16 to 18 are heavy. They're heavy warnings. These are heavy realities. Um, but the blessing of hearing, which is described in verses 19 to 21, I think is very uh, exciting. And, uh, and I, hope it'll be, I hope it's encouraging um, to you. So let's read that together. This is good news. Uh, verse 19, Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. So Luke gives this account here now of his family, his mother, his brothers, Jesus' brothers coming to him. Uh, they want to get access to him, but they, uh, they can't get through to him because of the crowd. So then a messenger relays to Jesus that, uh, your, mo your mom and your brothers are outside. They're looking for you. It's not completely clear here why, why they're looking for him, why they want to, to get to him. Uh, it's, not, it's not obvious. It, it may be that uh, they were concerned for his well-being, you know, just uh, the, the busyness of life. I mean, we, 
We know that Mary uh, was a faithful woman. She's depicted throughout the scriptures as a believer in the Lord. Uh, we do know she was confused at some points along the way of, of exactly what Jesus' ministry was going to be about. Uh, so it might have just been, there might have just been some confusion, concern there. We also do know, though, that his brothers, uh, John 7, I believe it is, uh, tells us that they didn't believe in him at this point. We know that James and Jude, they did eventually, after his resurrection, believe in Jesus, their earthly brother, as, as Lord. They believed he was the Son of God. Uh, they both wrote books of the Bible. But again, we also know in, in Mark 3.21, there was an incident where his family came. Uh, the family members are not identified, but it just says his family came and they wanted to get to him because they thought he was out of his mind. So uh, there, there's a mixture of maybe concern and unbelief and whatever exactly the reason is they come here, we don't know for sure. Um, but the emphasis is not on why they came. Uh, the emphasis is on Jesus' response. And his response is, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. And that's a remarkable comment. Those who listen and who do the word of God, he says, are my, my family. They're, they're, they're closer to me than, these, than my mother and brothers who are standing outside looking for me. Uh, these are my spiritual family, those who believe the word of God and do it. They have the closest possible relationship is what he's saying. Before we explore that just more, just notice here that hearing uh, and doing are tied together. So again, Jesus' brother James, later in the book of James, after converting, obviously, he writes this, uh, and he says there that true faith is not merely hearing the word of God, but it's doing it as well. It's responding to it in faith. It's, it's seeking to do what it tells us to do. So true hearing responds in faith and is evidenced then by obedience. It's a hearing in faith that then leads to action. Uh, so that's what true hearing is. And so, uh, so, so we have here Jesus responding. My mother and brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. This idea of, of being, uh, becoming a family member with Jesus, becoming his brother, his, his mother, uh, this, this idea is picked up and, and, and talked about in, in different places in the scripture, in the New Testament. And it's commonly re referred to as the doctrine of adoption. It's talking about our adoption. And it's the reality that those who believe in Christ are adopted by God. So God the Father then becomes the father of believers, and we become his sons and daughters. So many think um, that God is, is just... Uh, you know, is their father when in fact he's not. Many people just sometimes talk about the universal fatherhood of God and there's a sense in which he's a father to all and that he created all things uh, and he, you know, gives the, uh, his, in his common grace, pours rain upon the just and the unjust. Um, but, but mostly, uh, when the Bible speaks of God as father, it's talking about how he is a father to those who believe in him. Of course, uh, in a special way, he's the father to the divine Son of God, Jesus as well, but when it's referring to human beings, it's referring to the fact that he is a father in a special way to those who believe in him. So again, many think God is their father when in fact he's not. He is our father if we believe in Christ. Again, I mentioned John 8 earlier. There's a really clear place where the Jews say, our father is, is God. 
uh, Yahweh, the Lord, Ab- because we are Abraham's offspring. Uh, but God, very, or Jesus very clearly says that's not the case. In fact, your father is the devil. Uh, so they have it quite wrong, we would say. Rather, as John's prologue says in John 1.12, to all who did receive Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So as sinners, we are alienated from God, but by believing God's word, by responding in faith, we're adopted into God's family. That's one aspect of our salvation. He now becomes our loving Heavenly Father. We can call Him Heavenly Father rightly, because that's in fact what He is. We are out from under His wrath, and we are now under His steadfast love, His faithfulness toward us, His patience toward us. He treats us now as children. This is why in Hebrews as well, our trials... It's no longer, that's not a sign of his wrath, but it's a sign of his loving discipline toward us, to move us along, to progress us in becoming more Christ-like. It's his loving and sanctifying discipline. There's more to this adoption. Jesus, we know, is the eternal Son of God. He is the one through whom all things have been made. He's the one for whom all things exist. He's the one who... He sustains the universe by the word of his power. He holds it up. And yet, this one, this person, calls believers his brothers, his mother, his spiritual family. He says we have a bond and a union that's closer than even an earthly mother or brother. So in a mystery that's uh, far too great to fully grasp, the eternal Son of God took to himself a human nature, came to earth to live among human beings. As Hebrews 2 says, uh, he became a little lower than the angels. So the angels themselves are created beings. The Son is far greater than them in eternity past. Uh, He creates these angels. We think of them as great beings. And yet, Jesus became even lower than them. He became a man. He took on human flesh. As Romans 8.3 says, he took on the likeness of sinful flesh, though he was without sin. He wasn't a sinner, but he really became man. He really took on a human nature. And we've seen this in Luke, especially early on, uh, that that his humanity, Luke emphasizes it. Jesus really did experience neediness. That's not something he would have known in eternity past. That's not an attribute of God, to need anything. Uh, He experienced in his humanity, in his human nature, hunger, suffering, ultimately the cross. Death, that's not something God experiences. Jesus experienced that in and through his human nature. And so the question, why did he do all of this? And the answer is, he did it to rescue his brothers, to rescue his sisters. He did it to secure our redemption and to secure our adoption. Hebrews 2.11, which, er, which was read earlier, even tells us that he's not ashamed to call us brothers. I think that's amazing. He's the eternal Son of God, through whom all things are created, 
And he's not ashamed to call those who trust in him his brothers and sisters. He's not ashamed to have us in his family. We might have people that we're ashamed of. Jesus is not ashamed of us. We can all, we should all think of many reasons why Jesus should be ashamed of us. Sinners as we are, there's all kinds of reasons why he should be ashamed of us. And yet, Hebrews 2 says, Jesus was made like his brothers in every respect. That is, he truly became human so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people, to satisfy God's wrath for the sins of the people. So it was necessary in God's plan that the Son would come, the eternal Son of God would come and would be made like his brothers in order to suffer and in order to rescue us and to be the propitiation for our sins. And because he's done this, he is now risen, he's been exalted, he's been given the name that's above all names, he has sat down at the right hand of God the Father, and he now has become a faithful high priest in service to God, and he intercedes for us. Even right this moment, if you're trusting in Christ, he's interceding for you. Right this moment, he's not ashamed that you would be his brother, that you would be his sister. Jesus is not ashamed of his brothers and sisters, but rather came for the purpose of rescuing you, if you believe. To rescue those who would believe in the gospel, who would believe the word of God, who would respond in repentance and faith, those who would be good soil, who would produce fruit. It seems to me that this can be a difficult thing to uh, believe at times as, as Christians. So, I, on one hand, uh, there's really cheap preaching out there that's just um, tries to rush to this and just says, oh, you know, you maybe hate yourself or aspects about you, but God just loves you. Uh, he's for you. Um, and, that, and then it's kind of that shallow. There's nothing of, 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 of sin. There's nothing of God's holiness. It's just sort of a, you shouldn't really feel bad about yourself because God's for you. Uh, and so it just, it, I mean, that kind of, that just cheapens everything. Nothing, you know, uh, nothing of Christ's lowliness in coming to earth, nothing of the, the price he paid to secure redemption, nothing of our sin and the greatness of what it is to be adopted and to now be called a child of God. So, so for some people, you know, the idea that God loves them, okay, great, that's all I want to know, I don't, don't tell me anything else, I'm good to go, that's fine. So for those people, this is probably really easy to hear. That's all they want to hear. But, I mean, this can be difficult for those who really have ears to hear, who really do understand something of the holiness of God and something of the wretchedness of our own sin. Because if we understand this, how sinful we are, and that this sin is ongoing even now and even today, it can be easy to just think that if I'm saved, God just somehow tolerates me uh, because I'm just a mess, or I've proved to be a mess again today. And it can be really difficult to actually think that God, that Jesus is actually not ashamed to call us His. I, I, I think that can be very hard to, to live in that place and to come out from under that constant condemnation. 
But this tells us we are brought into the closest union with God, the closest union with Christ through believing the gospel. The per first person of the Godhead becomes our father. The second person of the Godhead becomes our elder brother. The third person of the Godhead is called in Romans 8 the spirit of adoption by whom, through whom, we call out Abba Father. We're able to call God Father. He, he, he brings about our adoption, causes us to recognize our sonship. And so the fact is, those who are trusting Christ, God does not merely tolerate us. Our position, rather, has fundamentally changed. Out from under wrath and into his kingdom, into his family, into the church. And we stand firmly in this place. And while we see, and we rightfully see, that we're worthy of shame, Jesus is unashamed to call us his brothers and to intercede for us. Having himself become like us in humanity, suffering to be our propitiation. It's why he came. To glorify God in this way. And so now, he ever lives at the Father's right hand, now interceding for those who are his. And he will do this until the Lord calls you home. Or until he returns. And he'll do this for all of his children in the same way. Martin Lloyd-Jones said in commenting on uh, Hebrews 2 and this adoption, being adopted, being gods in this way, he made this comment. He says, if you and I only realized what this means, we would be filled with such rejoicing that we could not contain it. And all our difficulties and problems would be dealt with. So here's another example of where good doctrine gets very practical. For us. This doctrine of adoption brings such hope if we would just see it. We can lift our drooping heads and weary hands, not just on some vague hope that tomorrow might be better. The sun, oh, surely the sun will come up tomorrow. Uh, we don't have any guarantees necessarily that tomorrow is going to be a great day, but we do have this understanding that Christ is our elder brother. He stands at the Father's right hand. He intercedes for us. And he's not ashamed. If you're believing in him, he's not ashamed of you. And as your faithful high priest, he can offer help. He can offer grace in time of need. He will see you through to the end. He will intercede for you until that time. So this adoption is yours. This reality though we can't see it with our eyes, is yours if you're believing in Christ, if you've taken care in how you hear. And if you haven't, then this is what awaits if you would hear, if you would renounce your sins, if you would believe the word of God, if you would believe the gospel of his grace and look to Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins by faith. Jesus tells us, take care how we hear. One day everything's going to be exposed. Nothing's going to be hidden at that time. Further understanding, further blessing comes to those who truly do hear. And one of these great blessings is that we're adopted into God's family. God becomes our father, Jesus our brother, who intercedes for us even now. And so may we all heed Jesus' words and take stock of ourselves and our lives. And may we have ears to hear. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for this day. Father, I pray that we would indeed uh, take stock, that we would have ears to hear, that we would know our great need to be forgiven. And Father, for everyone who, who understands that, I pray that you would cause such rejoicing in our hearts that we are in a right standing with you. God, we confess daily how we fall short. Even as those who know the truth, we still fall short. And we're ever in need of your grace. And so we are, words can't describe how good it is that you would rescue us and you would be pleased with us, even though in so many ways we are still a mess. I pray that we would rejoice in the fact that Christ became a human being, as lowly of a, of a move as that was for him. He took on flesh in order to do just that, in order to rescue us, in order to redeem us, to justify us, to bring us into his family. I pray that, again, our spirits would soar at this truth, that when we sin, we would, we would confess it quickly, and that we would rejoice in the truth that Christ is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. So we thank you for this truth. I pray that you'd encourage your people. We pray that you would give us much grace in uh, the week ahead. We pray that you would continue to reveal great truths of your word to us and more of who you are. Lead us away from sin that Christ has paid for. Lead us into greater holiness and righteousness. And we ask that you do all this for the sake of your own name, to give yourself glory and honor. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.